Good morning and welcome to Palm Sunday at First Baptist. I'm Mitch Hagens and it's my privilege to welcome you, those uh, family, church family members, ministry partners, guests. We're so grateful that you're joining us for this special service today. On behalf of our pastor, David Shivers, his wife, Jeannie, and we're grateful that you've chosen to join us for this worship experience this morning. David and Jeannie are away today. They'll be back for Easter Sunday next week. And you join us then at 1030, whether that's on Facebook or whether that's on YouTube. We'd love to have you. Um, again, I'm Mitch Hagens, and uh, my role today is to bring the message, a message I've, um, I've entitled, uh, When Jesus. And uh, so you get your copy of God's Word. Uh, we're going to be working from Matthew chapter 21. That's Matthew's account of the life of Christ, starting in chapter 20 and moving into chapter 21. And we'll go to God's word in just a few minutes. My background lends itself to be in the pulpit this morning for pastor. I'm a former associate pastor of a church in Tacoa, Georgia, where I served for seven years. And today I'm deacon chair and a Sunday school teacher here at First Baptist. That allows me an opportunity to fill pulpit when pastor's away. So for the next 40 or 45 minutes or so, we're going to enjoy a time in God's word. And I look forward to bringing God's word to you today. Uh, what I'd like to do first is I'd like to do a couple of announcements. You know and I know that our church is, well, it's a little empty today. God's people have been deployed. We're not an empty building. We're a church on the move, and there are things that we're doing and things that we're active in, and I'd like you to be aware of them. We produce each week what we refer to as a gathering information sheet, and it looks something just like this. A gathering information sheet where we talk about the ministry work of our church. An example of that is just last week we had a drive-through food campaign where people came to our parking lot and dropped off food for CAC a safety net organization in our community. We're repositioning our deacons to be more on the front line of ministry and less in decision making. And so we're launching a leadership team later this month. There's a number of things that are going on in God's church called First Baptist. And we'd love for you to be aware. If you didn't receive this, if you're not on our mailing list, we'd love to send this to you each week. You can receive a copy by writing us at FBCSS at bellsouth.net. That's FBCSS at bellsouth.net. And we'd be pleased to send you a copy of our ministry update, including our financial statements, so that you can see what God's people continue to do during this time of deployment. The other thing I'd like to do is I'd like to have a word of prayer with you this morning. We always um, talk about prayer in this church. And the thing I love about First Baptist, among many things, is that we are a praying people praying for people uh, we are committed to a prayer ministry in this church and that's evidenced every sunday morning from the pulpit that's evidenced on wednesday nights as we met and talked about god's word and then spent time in prayer for people who needed god's touch uh, we have a, what we refer to as a prayer bulletin uh, it's produced every week in our church uh, a list of people that we can pray for by name by issue, by opportunity. And again, if you'd like a copy of our prayer bulletin, we'd be happy to send it to you. Just write us at fbcss at bellsouth.net and we'll get that out to you on Monday or Tuesday of this week. For prayer requests today, we have one that I'd like you to remember and pray with us about that's in hospice. Please pray for him, for his family, those around him, those loved ones. And for people who, because of the virus, can't get in, can't say goodbye, can't be with him. So one in hospice today. We have one at Emory Hospital here in Atlanta. Our church is located in a northern suburb of the city of Atlanta. It's a beautiful day outside, and a, but there are people who are ill, and one of, the, our, one of our friends is in Emory Hospital. Uh, and 10 days ago, she had a bone marrow transplant and things are going well, but now there's a bit of fever and potential for infection. And so we're asking God's people to pray for her, to pray for her protection at this time. 
another one that we uh, are aware of is a friend of the ministry has the virus itself. So we want to pray for that person, that God's touch will be not only on that person, but also on those frontline workers, those doctors, those nurses, those caregivers, so that they are protected and they provide the very best care. But most important for our prayer time this morning, so that's one in hospice, that's one in Emory Hospital, um, that's one with the virus, and the most important aspect for prayer time this morning is this is Holy Week. We start today with Palm Sunday, a glorious occasion in the life of our Savior Jesus Christ. But it moves to the Passover meal, to Monday, Thursday. We move to Good Friday later this week when the passion of the Christ is fully in evidence. And then we have the celebration next Sunday that we recall Easter on the resurrection day when Jesus was raised from the dead. It's a very special time in our church in a very special time in yours. And we'd ask you to be in prayer about your part in Holy Week, wherever you find us today. So let's have a word of prayer right now. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity and this occasion to reach your people via technology. The room is empty, save for those who are here to help broadcast this message. But that emptiness is not a hollowness. That emptiness is deployment. Your people have fanned out all over this community and people who like our Facebook page are literally around the world. So as we greet them today, Lord, we do so in the name of Jesus. And Father, for this one that is in hospice, for this one that is in Emory, for this one who has virus, Lord, we pray for them and those that are in their care. We pray, Father, for the families, sometimes prohibited, unable to be with them. We pray for loved ones and people who are concerned. Help us always, Father, to come to you with our petitions and our thanksgiving. And Father, we also thank you for this week, this very special week in the life of Christ's followers, where the Old Testament merges with the New, and all that was promised is fulfilled in the life and person of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this time, for this service, for this opportunity to share the gospel message. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
I'd be remiss if I didn't start today by thanking Steve and Chris, Ed and Charlie for their presence physically in God's house today to make this possible. You say, uh, isn't the state of Georgia under uh, some mandate for assembly? And yes, we are. And so, yes, we're taking all manner of precaution to be together today. But the sharing of God's word is very important. And we are compelled to be available to you and to share what he has for us today. And so this message, when Jesus is for each of you, and we're so delighted that you're here today. Paul, the great apostle, when he uh, was finishing the book of Romans, the letter to the church at Rome, uh, in the latter part of that work wrote the following, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Let me repeat that last portion. The endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And today's message on when Jesus is about hope and about responsibility. So if you take your copy of God's word and turn to Matthew's account of the life of Christ, we'll spend a good deal of time in chapter 21, the beginning part of that chapter, verses 1 through 11. And the reason I started with Paul at the end of Romans is he's helping us understand that scripture is beneficial. That scripture has meaning for us and is an encouragement to us and is a source of hope for us. And today's lesson from, from Matthew chapter 21 is one that merges the Old and the New Testaments. Matthew, when writing to New Testament believers, cited Psalms, cited um, uh, uh, prophets, uh, in this text today. And so what Paul told us about scripture is very important. And that's why we're in this text today. But what we also know about the text, the chapter 21 of Matthew, is that it has context. We always look at God's word from a content standpoint. What does it say? And then we look at it from a context standpoint. What is it saying in light of things that are happening around it or things that have been said previously? So hold your finger at chapter 21 and just flip back to chapter 20. If your Bible is like mine, there are headings that help us understand what's happening in chapter 20. But I want to set the stage for Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. If we don't do so, then we don't understand the dynamics of that day. Oh, we know the story. We've heard the story, those of us who've been in church for any length of time. We've heard the story and we understand the physical actions that occurred from the Mount of Olives to the Golden Gate and through the Golden Gate or the East Gate up to the Temple Mount. We understand the physical happenings of Palm Sunday. But unless we look at chapter 20, we don't understand the theological and religious happenings of that day. So chapter 20 begins with a parable. Jesus is being Jesus and he's teaching the people. He's teaching his disciples. And the parable is that of the vineyard and the vineyard owner who hires people at the beginning of the day and throughout the day and at the end of the day. And when that day is over, the owner of the vineyard pays the wage that he had agreed to pay. And those that were hired last at 5 p.m. and did the least bit of work received the same compensation as those that had worked all day. It's a story of, of priorities. It's a story of prioritization that those who are last shall be first and the first shall be last. Jesus teaches this uh, to help us understand the kingdom of heaven and what's coming in the days ahead. 
The second part of chapter 20 is Jesus reviewing for us his coming death. Uh, when the Jews and the Gentiles will align to put him on a cross as a common thief, as a sinner, one who knew no sin, to be hung on a cross and to die. Jesus is very clear in helping his disciples and those closest to him understand. This is the third time in Matthew's account that Jesus is talking about his upcoming death. This is prophecy. So the vineyard owner was talking about priorities. This is about prophecy. And then Jesus encounters the mother of James and John, a mother who's advocating for her two sons one to sit on the right of Jesus and one to sit on the left of Jesus when he comes into power. And Jesus is helping her and them understand that this is not a simple matter of power and authority, that the cup from which he drinks is different than what they're expecting and anticipating. This is about power. And Jesus is, is defending the, the issue of this isn't about a power as we know it on earth, but this is about the power of God to save those that are lost. And the final part of chapter 20 is Jesus being Jesus again, demonstrating compassion. You'll remember the story and you'll read that part of chapter 20 yourselves. But Jesus encounters two people who are blind. Two men who, in the din of noise and people following Christ, were yelling at the top of their lungs for the Savior to see them and the Savior to acknowledge them and when asked, the Savior to heal them. So Jesus in chapter 20 is being Jesus. He's teaching. He's prophesying. He's prioritizing. And he's demonstrating compassion. All of that is the context leading up to what we know as Palm Sunday or the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem the last time. And that's captured for us by Matthew in chapter 21. It's captured for us by Mark. It's captured for us by John in their accounts of the life of Christ. But I chose Matthew because it's the clearest representation. And I'd like us to spend just a few minutes together in God's word in chapter 21 of Matthew. So starting with verse one, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord has need of them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, and the prophet is Zechariah. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In verse 6 of chapter 21, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and placed their cloak on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. From Psalm, they shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The story is well-worn and well-known to any of us who've been in church for any period of time. Even those of us who come to church at this time of year, this is a story and this is a Sunday where we celebrate this triumphant entry. Jesus is being presented as Messiah. 
to the nation of Israel, to the Roman government, to the city of Jerusalem. Jesus is being presented as the one who can give life. Now that's not necessarily what the people thought, and we'll look at that in a moment. But that's what Jesus did. He brought life that day. He didn't bring government, but he brought life. Life for you and life for me. So as we think about this, let's, let's go back and just look at this for a moment, and then we'll conclude with some lessons from these texts. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, I want you to have the picture of a, of a hillside. The Mount of Olives is opposite the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. Um, I want you to have the picture that this is a hillside and in the valley below is the Kidron Valley. And over here is the Mount of Olives and over here is the Temple Mount. It's about three miles, 3.4, 3.5 miles from the Mount of Olives through the gate into the Temple Mount. For those of us in suburban Atlanta, for our church family, those that attend here regularly, that would be like driving from our church facility to the old Dunwoody Elementary School. That would be like driving from our church facility to the Hobby Lobby beyond Perimeter Mall. That would be like driving up Roswell Road, not quite to the river, probably close to the $3 cafe. That three and a half miles is what Jesus walked that day. Actually, Jesus rode that day. It's not a long distance. In fact, from the Mount of Olives, Jesus could clearly see into the temple and see the final destination, the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go. I don't know about you, but when Jesus would say the word go to me, I think I'd be moving. We'll talk about that in a moment. But Jesus said to the disciples, I want you to go. And I want you to go to the village ahead of us. And once you are there, you'll find a donkey and her coat. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks you, what you're doing, tell them the master has need of them and everything will be fine. That was actually a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9 where Jesus is going to come as a suffering savior, suffering servant, our savior, will come into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, meek and mild, humble and lowly. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed cloaks or clothing or material or garments on top of that donkey so that Jesus would be comfortable. And so Jesus could ride that distance into Jerusalem. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches. Those branches were likely palm branches, and that's where we get the moniker of Palm Sunday. And when Jews in that day cut branches, it was a sign to the Roman state that they, the Jews, were looking forward to freedom. They were looking forward to having a day when they would return as a nation of prominence and importance as they once were under David and Solomon and other kings. Those branches were raised believing that Jesus, the Messiah, was to form a government, was to unseat Rome and return Israel to priority. That they would have freedom. And literally that week, Jesus brought incredible freedom, just not the freedom that they expected and in the way that they expected. But you have crowds who are gathering, crowds who are putting cloaks in front. That's a sign of respect, of, of adoration, of palm branches, which is a sign of desired freedom. The crowds went ahead of him and followed, and they shouted words and phrases that you and I would know would mean, this is Messiah, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The concept there is to save us, save us now. 
And that week, that holy week, that week that culminated with Easter, with the rise of Christ from the dead, is that saving. It actually came to pass just as they asked. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, verse 10, the city was stirred. The word there in Hebrew is a word that we translate in English, seismic. We know that has to do with earthquake. The city was moved. There was stirred. There was a movement in the city with Jesus coming. And there was the question, who is this? And why is this happening? You can only imagine a throng of people the noise of the throng of people, the animals. This is Passover. People are coming into the city of Jerusalem for ritual cleansing so that they can observe Passover. It's very special. The city is full. It is vibrant on its own because of Passover. But now we're adding to the mix the coming of Messiah. And truly, Jesus did come in as Messiah. The outcome wasn't exactly what was expected. That's why I started with chapter 20. When Jesus predicts his death, he talks about the alignment and the alliance of Gentile and Jew to put him on a cross, to put him to death. He knew what was coming. He even warned his disciples and those closest to him what was coming. But they didn't hear. And so they participated with the people in what they believed was going to happen with Messiah, which was the setting up of a separate government, a government to return Israel to prominence. At the end of the day, Jesus entered Jerusalem, rode the donkey about three miles. People were adoring him, praising him. If they hadn't, the very rocks would have cried out. But at the end of the day, that's a story that requires something from you and me. God's word is not just a series of stories. Uh, they are not just a series of lessons to be heard, but they are lessons that require action on our part, on your part and my part, and on the part of deployed churches like ours all over this nation and around the world. So I think there are four lessons from this study today. Four things that are very important that I ask you to make note of as you read Matthew chapter 20 and 21. Four things that you can do and I can do to demonstrate our receptivity, not only receptivity to Messiah, but to the following of Jesus Christ. And the first one is, when Jesus asks, act. The title of the message is when Jesus dot, dot, dot. So when Jesus asks, act. That's all bound up in the word, the little word go in verse 2 of Matthew 21. Go to the village ahead of you and once there you'll find a donkey and her colt. Jesus gave specific instruction. He had an ask of two disciples. And that's not the only time Jesus used the word go. If we turn over to Matthew, the last chapter of Matthew, chapter 28, we read these words. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, before he ascended to heaven, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. That should give us great confidence in these days of tribulation and trial. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This little word go has great implication, so when Jesus asks where to go, we're to act. When Jesus asks, we take action. What action might you take? Your action might be to comfort someone who is afraid. Your action might be to sustain your church with tithes and offerings. 
Your action might be to find an outlet for ministry such as we did with CAC, a safety net organization that needed food and needed cash to meet the needs in our community. When Jesus asks, we act. The second thing is when Jesus needs, we release. The need in this case was a donkey and a colt. Jesus took those things that were needed and said to the disciples, please go and get the donkey and the colt and bring them to me for my use. I have need. And they did what Jesus asked, and God's word is very clear that it worked just as Jesus said. We should give us great confidence, by the way, that when Jesus speaks, we should listen. But I'll get to that one in just a moment. Uh, when Jesus has need, we need to release ourselves. We need to release the encumbrances that hold us back. And you'll say, well, what could Jesus possibly need from me? It's called a gift. As a Christ follower, we are given gifts. As a human being, we are given talents. And Jesus may need your gifts and your talents for use in and around his church, in and around your community, in and around your family. Jesus may have given you a gift of teaching, and right now there's a, 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 a maybe there's not an outlet for your teaching. But there's always a way to pull alongside of a church like ours. We just had a wonderful Sunday school class this morning. We used technology so that people could be on screen and see one another. And we're having as many attend that technology-driven Sunday school class as we ever had in person. Why? Because people are hungry for God's word. And God saw a need, and we released our, in a, our, our encumbrances. We're using available technology. We're releasing our gifts for use with God's people and those that need to know Jesus Christ. So when Jesus asks, we act. When Jesus needs, we release. When Jesus moves, we praise. You, the story is one of Jesus maneuvering down the Mount of Olives into the Kidron Valley toward the East Gate of Old Jerusalem, also known as the Golden Gate. It's the closest gate to the Temple Mount. If you read the following accounts of Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem, you know he immediately went to the temple and chastised those who had turned the temple into some kind of menagerie of exchange for gain financially. Uh, no, um, when Jesus moved, people praise. Uh, how do you praise? How do you praise God? Well, some of us do it by music. That's why this morning we started with songs and praise that is uplifting and encouraging. We do it through music. We do it through God's Word. By reading God's Word and knowing God's Word and memorizing God's Word, we demonstrate praise. We do it in the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of God himself indwells you and me as a Christ follower. And we understand what praise is through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We do it in prayer. We demonstrate praise in prayer. Just waking up this morning and saying, thank you, Lord, for another day. That's praise in prayer. So when Jesus asks we act when jesus has need of our gifts and talents we release those encumbrances that may want us to decline and we move forward when jesus moves we praise and finally when jesus speaks we listen it's the reason i started in chapter 20 i wanted you to have the context related to the content of chapter 21. 
I wanted you to hear what Jesus had to say, not only about priorities, but also about prophecy, not only about compassion, but about leadership, and that a servant leader is what his vision is, and that's what he was for you and for me. I'd be remiss if I didn't close with a text from Revelation. You see, when, when we think about this Sunday or this day that we celebrate as Palm Sunday, and we think about Jesus entering the city, and we think about the adoration and the demonstrations of praise, we think about all that went on that day. People thought one thing and it turned out to be another. People thought that perhaps it was the Messiah coming to rule and to reign. It was that, but to rule and reign in individual hearts, not over a nation. But I assure you there's coming a day when the Messiah will reign, will rule over nations. In the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, so just flip to the back. It's the, for those of you um, um, who may not know, the Revelation is the last book in the Bible. And I'm in chapter 7, verse 9. This is a pause in the great story of the Revelation where John the Apostle is, uh, is literally seeing the future of mankind. And this is a brief pause where people who have been saved out of tribulation, people who have died as a result of tribulation, are now praising God. And Paul, I'm sorry, John writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and around the four living creatures. And they all fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. Remember I told you about the palm branches on that day in Jerusalem? The palm branch was a symbol of the Jews' desire for freedom. Well, the palm branch in Revelation chapter 7 is a sign of complete freedom, a sign of Christ's leadership and of God's leading of mankind. It is that moment in time where all of this praise and worship is for the Messiah, the Messiah who first came that week in Jerusalem to suffer and to die only to be resurrected on our behalf to the end times where Messiah is reigning and ruling and all are bowing to worship. It comes down to this. Jesus is the sinless Son of God. And he came to save you and to save me from our sin. He did this by willingly sacrificing himself on a cross, dying a thief's death, buried in a borrowed tomb, only to be resurrected to life by God himself. And now today, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me. If you don't know Jesus, the message this morning may not make sense to you. Your first best opportunity is to understand that God loves us. And that God loved us when we weren't lovely. That ours is a holy God. And he put the sin of man, your sin and my sin, on the shoulders of his son on that cross. So that you and I, we would have a way to have a relationship with that holy God. Not anything that you do, only by faith. So my plea with you this morning is, 
as a Christ follower, when Jesus asks, act. If he says go, go. When Jesus has needs for our gifts and talents, release all the encumbrances that would cause you to say no and say yes instead. When Jesus moves in your life and moves in the lives of those that you know, praise him. And most especially, when Jesus speaks, listen. And he may be speaking to your heart this morning. And if he is, there's no better time than this day, this hour, this moment, to accept him as your Savior. That you would pray a prayer something like this. Father, I, I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that Jesus came to take away my sin. And Father, I don't understand fully all the theology, but I trust you this morning, right where I am. I trust you this morning that you love me, that Jesus did die for me, and that he rose from the dead for my eternity. God, I forsake my sin. I set it aside. I can't do that by myself. I'll need your help to do that, God, but I deliberately and intentionally set my sin aside. Father, I want to be yours. Help me learn what that means. Now, Father, we thank you for our time together this morning in your word. We thank you for that day when Jesus was proclaimed Messiah. And although the people didn't fully understand what that meant or what that would mean, he did, in fact, bring complete freedom. He did, in fact, bring everything they hoped for and more that week in Jerusalem. And still does to this very moment in the lives of people around the world. We thank you for this place. We call it a church, but it really is a building. The church is deployed, so be with her people today as they interface in our society. Be with our pastor, Jeannie, as they travel. We ask your blessing on them. And we're grateful again for this time. In the very name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.